as her reign begins, our season comes to an end. We're talking movies. We're talking The Woman King, starring Viola Davis, Lashana Lynch, and John Bugoya. Story by Maria Bello and Dana Stevens, who wrote the screenplay, and directed by Gina Prince Blythewood. Some things are worth fighting for. Close your mouth. You look like a fish. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of How'd You Like That Movie? Uh, not only are we talking about the newest release, uh, the 2022 release of The Woman King, we have a fantastic uh, guest in filmmaker and actor, Mary Galloway. Hey, Mary, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Hey, Scotty. Thanks for having me. So great to be here. So did, did we say, is it Galloway? We, I, we didn't even check yeah, to make sure Galloway. we spelled your last name right. Um, you got it. <laughs> So you uh, you've got a pretty impressive resume from the Canadian Screen Awards to the Hollywood Reporter. Why don't you uh, why don't you just tell us and our audience all about like all the great work you've been doing and kind of like some background on you? Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so I am a writer, director, actor, showrunner, and producer when I have to, but I hate it. So I try not to call myself that. Um, I don't hate it. It's just not my favorite. Um, but yeah, I uh, am originally from the Coast Salish Territory. I'm a member of the Cowichan Tribes, and I currently live in Treaty 1 Territory. I sorry, just because we, sorry, I'm going to interrupt for you a second. Since we have an international audience, if you could maybe give some perspective of like where those are within the nation yeah. of Canada. Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm from the Coast Salish Territory, which is uh, colonially known as British Columbia, uh, the coast of British Columbia. Um, and I currently live in Treaty 1 Territory, which is now known as Winnipeg. And um, that's in Manitoba kind of in central Canada, and um, I am working on a bunch of projects. I've got uh, season two of my web series, Querencia, uh, in pre-development, turn it into a television series, move it from web to TV, uh, and a couple of other uh, development deals for television, and uh, some documentary feature docs that I'm directing, which I'm really excited about, and a short film that's premiering next month in toronto um at two festivals and so i kind of just jump around and do whatever story um and whatever role in that story feels right and i love to tell female empowerment stories queer stories indigenous stories all that so are you before we get into your filmmaking other than your own projects are you still acting like are you still being picked up as an actor for other productions um, yeah, I just acted actually on uh, Friends uh, limited series called Alter Boys here, uh, and I played a doctor, which I was like, hell yeah, I'll play an Indigenous doctor, <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> sign me up. Um, so I act occasionally, it's one of those things that is my first love, and I will always be interested in acting, um, but it kind of ends up being usually in projects that is like a friend has thought of me to cast me in something it's less so the traditional like audition and get shortlisted and called back and like I don't book acting roles really the traditional way which is really strange but yeah 
I mean, if you're in a space where you can be uh, have characters written for you, I, I think you're doing all right. <laughs> I was gonna yeah. say, yeah, that's what we have in common. Like, like Chris's muse and all his projects, and you know, I, I used cast. you in that's, one project. I used you in one project, and you and your daughter are going to be in a, a film I'm producing. That's only two. <laughs> So it went from one to two. You, that's how the snowball rolls, right? Doubles, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I got a 100% increase in my acting roles. Um, how was it? To, so you went to the Canadian Screen Awards this year for uh, queer. Go yes. ahead and you say it. Prince, yeah. Thank you. Uh, you got nominated for Best Web Series and the Audience Choice Awards. Oh, yeah. That was such a whirlwind. I mean, I've always wanted to involved with the CSAs and um, to get nominated for the Audience Choice Award was like the icing on the cake, you know, it's just that's the that's the award that really like to me means something like awards are kind of sometimes just, uh, I don't know, people like scratching each other's backs and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Audience Choice Award, that's those are the people that like, I want my work to like, to resonate with and like we were up against some huge heavy hitting shows and we're this ultra low budget web series up against like Canada's Drag Race and um, Winona Earp and like all these huge following shows you know absolutely and I, I know what you mean like the the other awards can almost be like industry for in well they are industry for industry but like you said like I'll give you director and you give me screenwriter and but the audience like you can't you can't sway that group. It's it's they they like what they yeah. like and that's what they're gonna pick, right? Yeah, totally. And it was audience like like voted, of course. And um, there was many rounds, and we like kept making the next round, and we didn't make it all the way to the end. But like to even make pay the nomination round, and then to make a few rounds, like knocking out some of those big shows, was like what's going on? Like I, this is like the little engine that could. It feels like and. Um, it's just such a project that I'm so passionate about and love to tell that story. So yeah, it was, it was such a, such a like fun time and honor and, um, lots more to come for those characters for sure. So your show right now is basically a web series about 15 minutes long uh, per episode on APTN's Lumi, uh, which is, I guess, mm -hmm. sort of like the CBC gem app, uh, online version. Uh, and then is it Reverie where, uh, where you can watch it globally? Yeah. Yeah, Reverie.tv is globally. It's a queer LGBTQ2S plus platform. And um, yeah, it's pretty much global on Reverie. And uh, within Canada, yeah, on aptnlumi.ca. And now you're working, you're in your pre-pre-production to go, like, are you going to go on to terrestrial television or are you going to be picked up or are you looking to be picked up by a streaming service like Amazon or Netflix or what's, what's the goal uh, as you move into that 30 minute mark? Uh, yeah, so um, so basically right now APTN has given us development money to uh, break the stories, which is just like get the broad strokes of the story of the next season uh, written and um, we want to take it to another um, broadcaster or streaming service to like kind of co-produce with a larger, larger um, like platform because I have really big high hopes and like dreams for the next season. And we absolutely do not want to go ultra low budget again. You know what? We used that opportunity to like show what we've got. And now it's time to like 
have put the money where the mouth is and be like, okay, you see how good this show did? We need to put actual money into it because I'm like called in all my favors and I want to pay my people properly and not, um, you know, just scrape by for the next season. So we're right now looking for a partner to pair up with, with APTN. Do you, do you feel comfortable talking about the, what the budget was for the show? Cause it looks very good. The editing, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a bit of a cold. The editing's no fantastic. Uh, your cinematography is nice and stable. Like it looks really good. It doesn't look low budget. I mean, it is a, it's a bit of a shorter show, but you guys pull, I mean, we were just talking about Jeff Barnaby. Uh, I'm sure you know of him, you know, blood quantum and rhymes for young ghouls and similar to you seems to be able to stretch a budget. Uh, are, like I said, are you, are you comfortable with talking about what your rough budget was for production for this show? Or is that like a secret? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I was trying to remember this the other day, actually, because I feel like our actual like monetary budget was lower than our, like, we had a lot of in-kind donations. Um, so probably like money wise, it was probably for eight episodes that were, yeah, about 10 to 15 minutes per an episode. Um, we had about 200, maybe $250,000. Um, and for that many minutes and that much content, that's just like pennies, basically, in the mm. film world. Was that mm -hmm. a, is it a union yeah. project? Like, were, were you working with ACTRA or? Yeah, yes, we were. I mean, I'm a full union member, so we had to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah we were union and then we had a lot of crew that were like given opportunities that they are like going for a level of their position that's higher than what they usually um get so we were able to like you know get people that are part of their unions but if you give them a like a bigger title then they can work on another it was i don't think their crew was necessarily you union in the roles that they were in like a first ac operating as a dop or like a third ad yeah. operating as a first or something like that yeah yeah exactly and so and um we also gave a lot of people their first opportunity on any film set like our hairstylist that was her first um film set she's ever been on and she knocked it out of the park like it was just we really wanted to find people who are passionate about this story who would show up every day and like put in their best work because they love the story and they, you know, they want to be there. It's, it's definitely not a job that was like, Oh, I'm just cashing a paycheck. <laughs> you know? Uh, how long did it take to shoot all your episodes? Like, did you block shoot everything together? Like bang, 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 bang. Or did you shoot and then kind of, you know, get some more money and shoot? Like, was it, did you have uh, that production budget all from the beginning as well? Or. Um, yeah, so we actually, we won the pitch competition at Imaginative Film Festival, and that's where we started with the budget. And then it was originally only going to be like five minute episodes and only four of them. And um, so then we applied to Telefilm because it was the last year Telefilm was going to do web series funding. And um, so we applied to that and we got that, but they wanted at least 80 minutes plus of content. So I basically scrapped the episodes I had written and then rewrote as a like 80 to 90 minute project. And so we shot it all at once. We did, um, I think it was 12 days of shooting, um, which was like so not enough. 
but uh, we like squeezed it in and uh, we had like kind of short days. We like could not go over the certain amount of hours, you know, um, and we also were in the like second wave of the like pandemic and it was Vancouver and like it was in code orange. And then on the last three days of filming, it went to code red and we had to like lay off basically half our crew and just like limit the amount of people in the room and we had to just all kind of collectively um hold our breaths that we would not get shut down because it was like free vaccines you know so is that why you don't want to be a producer because you have to make those choices in terms of who's getting laid off and oh yeah it was horrible and like my my producer jesse anthony was so amazing at it and i like did not envy her that day and she had to like make cuts and it was like we have to otherwise we can't keep shooting but we were like a family and we were not ready to say goodbye to each other <laughs> do you uh do you want to give us a bit of uh like the story arc of your show just so that when people can go hey i want to go see that show Oh yeah, of course, absolutely. Um, so Queer and Sia follows the uh, love story of two indigenous queer women. Um, one is named Dega and she's a very traditional closeted, um, grew up on the res type of girl who's shy and kind of um, quiet and hasn't quite like come into herself. And then um, we have Abe who I play and she's like the city girl. She's out and proud, she's an uh, artist and she's very disconnected from her indigenous uh, roots. And so the two girls meet by accident and fall in love and kind of um, introduce each other to their opposing worlds that they know nothing about. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I've watched a couple of the episodes and it's like I said, it's very well done. Uh, I, for example, in the first uh, episode, I love there's that editing choice where your char- her character lays down and is kind of facing to the left, and then your character you're not actually in the same space, and then it's almost it's edited to get together almost like you're looking at each other. I thought that was such a great mm-hmm. cinematic choice. Uh, you're a bad motherfucker in that show as well with the the crazy hair and like waking up and like drinking whiskey and smoking weed, um, and. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, or a Tuesday night for or Tuesday morning for press. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I so I came from a dance background, and that shot that's that whole setup of her doing her audition gave me anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like you guys really hit the like how it feels. It, it doesn't actually even mean if even if you're really good, it is it is the most dance auditions are probably the most stressful type of audition you can do, which makes acting auditions oh, yeah. like easy. <laughs> oh my god, I know, and like. I grew up dancing for like nine years of my life, but I was on Vancouver Island and I was in a non-competitive dance school. And then I moved to Vancouver. I was getting started in the film industry and a like dance audition open call. I'm like, absolutely, I got this, no problem. And then I show up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in over my head. Like, what have I done? What have I done? And so like, I've been Dega. And yeah, that is the most painful audition process for sure. And poor Caitlin, like, we really like, we really put her through it. She, uh, she is like a dancer and singer. She does musical theater. But um, I like, did not let her learn the dance ahead of time. And like the other actors all got it like, a week ahead of time and all got to like actually know it and um 
everyone that was a dancer auditioned for the dance teacher. And so they were all these like badass, fierce, intimidating, like they knocked it out of the park for their auditions. And like, we had to just cast one person. And then I was like, but wouldn't it be fun to just fill the room full of these like Phoenix characters? And so I, I offered them all like the background role and they're like, hell yeah, I'll be there. So like just Dega was set up for failure from the beginning. Yeah, because it looks so real, I actually wondered if you had used like a, a directing trick to do that because either that or she's like such an amazing actor that she's falling her way through that choreography <laughs> i mean she is an amazing actor but no yeah we did not let her learn it <laughs> you're using like some stanley kubrick techniques there um going like full yeah. method uh before we get into the movie uh what would your recommendation be for like <laughs> i already know what scott's thinking right now what's your recommend recommendation for like people who want to you know, make that step, make that step into like making something that's going to get, uh, you know, picked up by a network or whatever. Like it's, it's a tough, it, those, it feels very gatekeeped at points. Right. So. Mm. Oh yeah, it absolutely is. And, um, I think that the hard work though, like pays off and like, as long as you are genuinely passionate about whatever it is you're making, like people will show up for you and um like you can't have acid at any point you know you like you just have to put in the hard work and the hours um and also to like apply to literally every opportunity that you see come up that you're eligible for the amount of things that i've submitted to and i felt like i'm not ready to submit to this but i just gotta try and then i would end up getting in or like getting the opportunities or the funding or whatever like I've been on the jury now that I'm like, I've made this shift in the last like year where all of a sudden people are count, counting me as like an established filmmakers as opposed to emerging. And I've been asked to be on the jury for a lot of things for like film festival competitions or, um, you know, like funding applications. And I'm getting to see the other side of it now. And I'm like, oh, like they're actually, it doesn't take a lot to stand out. Like if you're passionate about what you're doing and you're not just trying to like please the funders and like think like, oh, what what's hot right now? Or like, what do I think they want? Like, don't do that. Just do something you're really passionate about and the audience will show up, the funding will show up and just apply to literally everything because there are some really bad applications being sent in. And sometimes they're the only ones that get sent in. So they're gonna get funding. And if you do hard work, you will get it, you know? Uh, what is it you're doing at the Canadian, you're, you're at the Canadian Film Center now, right? Uh, no, I finished that program, but it was the director's lab. Um, so it was supposed to be a six month program. It ended up being more like a year because it was virtual and like the pandemic um, kind of threw it off. But uh, yeah, it was the director's lab. So I made a short film there called Better at Texting and it's going to be at Real World Film Festival next month in Toronto, as well as Imaginative Film Festival. Yeah, Imaginative is what, mid-October or is it early November? Um, yeah, mid-October. Scott, do you have anything else before we get into the film or what? Um, no. <laughs> I, I was gonna, I'm gonna wait for the panhandling joke later on because now that I know you're in like the, uh, you know, submission stuff or these, 
the whole guest thing is making 100% <laughs> sense now. <laughs> let, let me tell you about this little short film called The Gathering that Ava Mac Productions is producing. <laughs> uh, Mary, is there anything else you want to talk about before we start talking about uh, The Woman Queen? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, then, Scott, as we normally do, take us away. All right, so I, when we're actually talking about the film, I just wanted to thank everybody for joining us for our season finale of season two. Uh, and just like the mailman, we deliver through rain, sleet, and soul. Chris was under the weather, but he still fought through to watch to watch this film because he didn't want to disappoint our listeners or Molly. But Chris, did you ever find out who actually gave you mono? Because it is the kissing disease. <laughs> Uh, first off, I think her name's Mary, not Molly. <laughs> what? Yeah, it says literally says it on her screen, but that's okay, man. Oh, uh, see, I had to shorten it for my little thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was I, like, I, was that supposed to be about me? <laughs> uh, sorry. Like we said, like we said it in the pre, like we get everybody's name wrong. Yeah, we even get our own <laughs> names wrong, so it's it's fine. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I went to the theater yesterday, masked up because I wasn't feeling great, but. Uh, I didn't actually like the idea of Scott being able to talk all about the movie by himself because we know how much of a train wreck that would fucking be. So, so yeah, go ahead, Scott. <laughs> I I did enjoy it. Like, um, I didn't know much about like this history, um, and it just goes to show that you know some of the nicest people are Portuguese because that Portuguese guy kicked ass, just like this Portuguese guy kicks ass. <laughs> That may not have been the message that they were like going for, but but I'm just saying Portuguese people were nice, right? Yeah. They were nice, except for their all but... their colonial violence. Other than that, they were fantastic people. No, well, the the colonial violence guy was the English guy. The Portuguese, or technically, he was Brazilian. So we can we can we can if he was super how, bad. How did Brazil? Count, how did I'm Brazil Portuguese. become Portuguese? What what was what was done to yeah, Brazil? That was the Gama, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was Portuguese. Yeah, those Portuguese people. Shut up. Yeah, Shut up, Chris. yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> I did like, in terms of the messaging here, that, like, because you don't really see it, because normally, like, this pat, like, this kingdom is supposed to be, like, the heroes, right? But you see that uh, they even talked about it, how the king, he was part of the slave trade. Like, that's how they made it, and they didn't shy away from it. But it was about making that 180 to like turn away from that to to save like all their people and and the nation itself. Like I thought that was like they didn't shy away from their history. So this film actually that is one of the big criticisms it's taking is because that is basically fucking fictitious. They were one of the biggest slaving African slaving nations, and they the they basically considered getting out of slavery and they did for maybe a small percentage of time. And then they realized they made more money with slaving and they went back to slaving. So um, there's a lot of uh, liberty taken with their, with their uh, history here, which is fine. Like, I mean, I, I think the, the use of that story to get all those like, you know, black faces up on a black, uh, on a screen is fine. Like the whole idea of like badass. uh female warriors also i think is great uh before i let mary jump in uh i'm just gonna jump into my quote just so everybody knows exactly where i sit when it comes to this film uh so dan gear of the chicago daily herald said the woman king has the feel of a game of thrones episode edited for the lifetime channel 
I actually thought it felt more like a Disney version of a of, of this film, not Lifetime Channel. But uh, that's kind of my where my jumping off point is going to be how I felt watching this film. Uh, Mary, what do you what do you think? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I loved it so much. I mean, Viola Davis can do no wrong in my books. Like she is so fierce, so badass, so authentic and true to like every every line she has, every action she takes. You know, she's gotten to a point as an actor that she's doing it with authenticity and like truth, you know, but um, she, for me, like is absolutely like just breathtaking in every way in the film. Um, yeah, I do feel like there is a bit of a Disney like sugar coating on it uh, for sure. And um, the young character who played opposite Viola, like her, like her character, I just loved so much. And I really like could lose myself in her perspective, I felt like, and that was really fun for me. And, you know, I don't get a lot of, I mean, as if like North America knows like female led kind of superhero -y feel like, like I can't relate to male superhero kind of like very uh, epic movies as much as I can like with Wonder Woman or the Woman King. Like I like, I just absolutely, felt like a kid going to a theater to like watch their hero you know yeah like that, that was the one thing uh, um i was disappointed i tried so hard to to get my daughters to come watch this with me <laughs> but they didn't want to because of the they thought the trailer didn't look good it didn't appeal to them i oh, guess i can say it. but that was the thing i was trying to get them to do too because ex exactly what you're saying like I've seen like the strong male like hero like like John McClane the normal guy that you know was gonna like rescue a fucking hot his wife in a hostage thing but I'm like there hasn't really been that for my for my daughters and I'm like everything I saw there I'm like this is gonna be a bunch ass women just killing a bunch of fucking dickheads I'm like I think you're gonna like this and yeah. none of them are like nope <laughs> no. uh 16 is my oldest and uh 12 oh so fascinating i would have thought that age range they'd be like hell yeah let's go <laughs> yeah that's what that's what i thought too <laughs> so i would I, I would agree that like i love viola, viola davis i mean multi academy award nominated uh actor won the academy award for fences which is amazing with denzel washington uh she also won a Tony for it. Uh, no, she got nominated for a Tony for Fences as well. Um, and those, I actually found that when, when she had her big dramatic moments, the film was working. Like she, she just has enough gravitas that she can basically pick the whole thing up and carry it on her shoulders. And uh, I actually would really like after seeing her in both this and in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, I want to see her play more of that like gritty neo-noir gangster kind of character uh almost like if you were to take out replace uh denzel washington in american gangster and put her in because she's such a fucking bad motherfucker man like, or even redo like yeah. a black exploitation style film with her as like the black gang leader you know what i mean because she is such a intense mm -hmm. intense fiery uh actor oh yeah that's that's that'd be so cool um 
I also actually had the opposite thought of like, okay, I've seen her be badass. Like, I want to see her be so soft. Like, I want to see a film where she's the opposite. And like, I want to like, just see that range from her. Cause I feel like she is always a very fierce woman. Have you seen Fences? I actually haven't, no. Yeah. So I would, hi- it's, it's one of those films that will just like, uh, if Beale Street could talk that I highly recommend people watch. Like it's very, very well done. It's okay. based on the August Wilson play, obviously. Uh, and it's, it's beautifully shot. Uh, it's often when you do, as you're, I'm sure aware, when you shoot a play, it can fall apart really easily because there's just, it's just a different medium going to film. Uh, they do a really good job of doing fences as a, as a film. So I would highly recommend it. And you will get to see her. She's still tough though. Like, I don't, I, I don't know if she can play Vaughn. She ever has ever played truly vulnerable. Uh, Cause I think there's yeah. just like a, like an iron inside of her. Yeah. Oh, I would say in this film, you saw her like break down, like, like actually kind of soft, especially when she had to like relive like her past kind of thing when, and you, you saw her like breaking down and stuff. And, and that's why I, like in terms of her performance, like, I don't know if this is like jinxing it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if like she's gonna be one of the nominees for for best actress for this year, like mm-hmm. off this film because it does go like from hard ass to soft to like a middle ground to to everything. Like she played a range a lot in this film. So Mary, yeah. what did you think about the? Because <clears throat> I felt the the my one of my issues with this script is I felt like it tried to tried to say a lot of things about femininity at the same time, obviously not being someone who identifies as female. Uh, I might be missing some of this stuff because it's the wrong lens. But one of the things I felt didn't need to be in there was that quasi love story between the Portuguese guy, well, the mixed race guy and uh, one of the female leads. What, what was your take on that? Scotty looks offended that you said he's a Portuguese. You name me a movie with like a fucking Portuguese guy that's on the big screen here, right? Like we have one and you got to fucking cut this guy out. Like we got one. Well, one guy's Portuguese, one's mixed though. He's he's mixed. No, no, the bad guy's not Portuguese. He just speaks Portuguese. Oh, okay. He's from England. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the Portuguese guy is half Portuguese and half uh, from that tribe, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was like, holding my breath that I was like, please do not turn this into a man saves the woman story. Like I was so nervous every time he came around. Cause I'm like, this better not turn into her, like leaving the, um, the soldiers and like be falling in love and being like he's the hero i was like i was so nervous about every time he appeared i was like please don't do it please don't do it um so yeah i I think like yeah i could have it could have done without that um and i also was expecting you know when he gives her clothes at the end i was like i really wanted her to just like do something like more warrior-esque with them than just wear them and look like in like really like it was just so that was a weird choice to me but um yeah it was a little nerve-wracking every time he got in reintroduced see i had the same nerves but i think it was the reverse i always thought it was going to be like this motherfucker is going to end up being like the villain 
Like oh. he's gonna be her villain at the end, right? Especially when she would like they yeah. they captured her and she was on the block for sale. Yeah. And then when she when he spoilers ended up purchasing her, like to say, I guess technically to save her, so that she didn't get shot. And when she asked them in the room, like, are you like, do you own me? I thought that's when he was going to have like the flip reverse. And I'm like, motherfucker, I can't even have one Portuguese guy on the screen. Right. But when he, he turned out. Okay. I'm like, fuck you, Chris, we got one. <laughs> so that's actually, that's I, funny. I would have preferred to see the Europeans. The Europeans are almost played as like neutral like ah uh, yeah this slave thing it's bad but you know it's helping these african nations like it it still had this almost like white savior aesthetic to it i'm like i wanted to see the 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 scene that scott's talking about i would have preferred if it actually did go in that direction and then she like cut dude's throat or something like that like the europeans that went to slave trade were not good people if you have not seen django unchained you you need to know, understand how bad the fucking slave trade was it was not a good thing they were not nice people yeah i mean like read up on history <laughs> not just the, the django but yeah um no i think uh yeah they could have gone a lot of ways it felt maybe a little, yeah, that was the weakest link in this movie, I think, was that little love story. And um, yeah, I kind of, or it would have been cool to see that young woman like turn on him and be just like absolutely like, like getting him wrapped around her finger just to like, you know, get into the spaces they needed to get into or something like, I would have loved that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I also felt like I would have preferred more like the Ridley Scott treatment on this, like grittier, much more up close with the violence. I felt like they spent too much time in the wide shots and it just mm -hmm. never, it never felt to be honest. It didn't feel violent enough. Like, and that might've been, uh, I actually don't in front of me have the rating. Do you, was it a, was it PG or what was the rating on this film? Um, and they may have done that just to like allow it to be seen by multiple audiences but considering we're talking about like slave trading and you know really brutal hand-to-hand -hand combat i would have preferred to see it more visceral like have it more visceral you know what i mean interesting no i really i thought that it had just enough like i didn't want more at all um because i don't feel like that was the point of it you know it was it was it felt more real to me that it wasn't so like gory bloodbath like you know there was never a time when you see blood like squirting out to like something hitting someone on the face or something like and i appreciated that because i don't yeah i don't love that in movies. but some of the choices they had for weapons like when they had like the, their nails like scraped oh. super sharp like i was like that's when i thought there was going to be like a massive like spray and stuff when they're like yeah. getting the guys down and stuff but i was like that's it's an interesting take but Chris, quick question for you though, because you hated prey so much. So how did you like when she attached the the sword in this movie to a string and used that? Yeah, see, I like it in this because they kind of touch on it with the string, like why this is your first weapon. We never hear about it again. And then bang, it gets used. In prey, it was like they sat on that that topic for so long. You're like, okay, here we're gonna go. And remember, that that sword on a string thing is basically a part of this warrior nation's skill set. Like it's something they all do. They all use it. 
Uh, I thought it was done much better in the in the Woman King than it was done in Prey. But you know my feelings on Prey. I didn't think it was fantastic. So. Yeah, I really liked the string as their first weapon. Uh, what else? Did you guys like anything else? Any criticisms? Oh, I was going to say, like, the the thing that, like, when we were talking about acting, the thing that distracted me the most was um, the actor Jimmy, I'm going to pronounce his last name super wrong, too, Okoya, I think, who played the villain, Oda Day. Because mm-hmm. when they did his facial reveal, I swear to God, for a split second, I thought it was LeBron James. And I, oh. I was like, I thought, like, I'm like, oh, is the, like, I was like, is this like one of his like cameos for film? And he's going to be like this badass guy that's about to get killed by Viola Davis in the first scene. And then when he just went on and then I could see it wasn't LeBron. But at the beginning, I was super fucking distracted. But if they ever do a LeBron James biopic, they have their actor right there, man. <laughs> that's funny. Um, I thought when like when they brought the like heads to him and uh viola like met and like take them on they had like duel or whatever um and the young one went and like closed the gate i 100 percent thought this was the moment that viola davis was going to like acknowledge that this young one is like is all right, you know, and like kind of accepts her. And when she didn't, I was like, oh, interesting. Like, that's not where I thought that was going. But I I feel like the point of it then was to um, plant a seed in Viola Davis's character of sometimes breaking the rules is what you have to do. And like, I thought the point of it was for them to like have their bonding moment and when it wasn't that i was very surprised yeah uh i mean you guys seem to be in the majority because uh 94 of critics and 99 percent of audiences like this movie uh somehow yet again i'm on the outside looking in uh like i said i thought it had a huge pacing problem multiple times i was like is this movie over yet uh so (laughs) i would assume you guys would recommend people watching this film yeah yeah i agree yeah absolutely i mean sure like the pacing maybe felt a little slow sometimes but i actually think that that was nice for me like the the amount of like intensity that it was for me i guess maybe because i also put myself in their shoes when i'm watching it i'm thinking like could i do that like could that be me, you know? And um, so it was really like intense for me. And if it was any faster, I think I would have been too overwhelmed by it. So I think the pacing was maybe catered towards people like me who are like, oh God, okay, yes. Like I'm ready for more now, but like, ooh. So yeah, maybe that made it more accessible. Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, and I, I, I really appreciated the lack of gore. <laughs> uh, well, uh, until the director's cut comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you like find out where setting. all the head cutting is. Uh, Mary, do you have anything else you want to talk about on this, uh, particular on this film before we let you go? Um, no, I don't think so. I feel like we covered a lot of the bases. Um, but yeah, if anyone wants to check out Quirencia, uh, it's APTN Lumi or every TV. 
Um, and I love to connect with people on Instagram. It's at Miss M Galloway. And um, yeah, super happy to be here. And thanks for inviting me. No problem. Do you use your Twitter? Because we, we noticed you had Twitter as well, because we can throw that in our show notes for our audience. I mean, I have Twitter. Do I use it? Not really. Like, I will check like native Twitter once in a while, but um, that's a, that's it's the whole purpose at the moment for me. But I mean, sure, follow me on there. I'll get on there once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on our show, Mary. Uh, like I said, all your we're gonna throw a bunch of info in the show notes and hyperlinks and stuff, so make it really easy for our audience not only to check out your show, uh, but to get in contact with you. And yeah. Uh, Scott, you got anything else before we let her go? No, no. Just thank you so much for joining us. And I really look forward to season two because I just literally finished season one like an hour ago. But uh, I I did want to say in terms of the show, I know Chris was saying his favorite shot. Um, I just want to say my favorite shot. I think it was like season five, the change change of hair. It's when they're cutting her hair and it's like a close-up of her and then like you're in the foreground and then like the single tear comes down like that I liked so much because I was like it's so many like different like emotions going through her kind of thing I was like yeah I got it oh thank you I appreciate that it's nice to hear I haven't heard that one as much and it's usually the cardigan scene when they're under the cardigan that people always mention (laughs) see I'm I'm, I'm different yeah you're different it's cool cool to be different (laughs) Yeah, and if, you know, in season two, if, you know, Abe has, like, because she was brought up in the system, if she has, like, a really bad, like, jerk stepbrother, you know, Chris is available. That's his role. That's uh, his, yeah, yeah, I am. Brother. I do tend jerk, to be cast as, as bad, shitty white men. Cops, oh, okay. abusive husbands. I mean, I have that aesthetic. It is definitely what I get cast as an actor in all the time. Uh, but, hey, you can't, uh, you can't say typecast without saying cast, so... <laughs> it's true yeah if you want to be cast as a shitty white man i mean sure I, 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 I... <laughs> it's all the same acting credit whether you're good or bad yeah. you're still getting an acting credit so <laughs> yeah it's true i mean someone's gotta play the shitty white dude yes and it's usually me <laughs> well thanks for coming out mary uh yeah we'll be in touch when the episode comes out we'll send you all the we'll send you a link and stuff so you can check it out uh we'll eventually get around to updating your imdb with you as a guest on the show that's my fault i'm really behind on our guests right now so no cool yeah no worries thanks thanks for having me all right bye mary have a great day bye bye thank you Well, what I, so before we uh, end the show, my recommendation is just wait for this motherfucker to come out on a streaming service. And that is our wrap for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. If you want to get a hold of us, reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com. We ended on a laugh. It went very well. At my expense, which is good.
that's the only kind of laugh we can get, right? It's true. Uh, well, definitely both with my pants on and off. You got anything else? I know, man. Just be careful. Well, why don't you let them know what, what's the beginning of season three? What's, what, what is your title for the beginning of season three? Because I know I'm never going to say it. Okay. But go ahead. All right. So season three, we are starting off with our hot ghouls of Halloween special. We're going to have some horror FX artists on. We're going to have some horror uh, photographers as well as horror models as our guests. Uh, and we're going to be talking about horror movies all through the month of uh, October. So look forward to our uh, hot ghouls of Halloween and the beginning of How'd You Like That Movie? Season 3. Production by Rod Shaver, Fader Monkey Productions.